When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What are you, from Boston? I'm from Boston. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in this episode of This Olympian. We'll be back next week with someone else. <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a 31-year-old man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm reading them now as an adult for the very first time because I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we've all been sleeping on as a society, but I am not on this quest alone, though. I am joined by another fantastic guest, a new guest to the show. They are a podcast host and producer and writer. It's Talia Franks. Talia, how's it going? Hi, it is going Good. I'm very excited to be here and listening to your podcast for a while. And I've been wanting to contribute to the conversation every time, <laughs> lamenting the fact that I can't just jump in and say like, hey, I know this thing or I have an opinion about this thing. <laughs> basically every episode. I'm sure many listeners feel very seen and heard in these statements. So I'm glad <laughs> that you can come on the show. I'm excited to have you on the show, not only because of all of the knowledge that they have, but finally we can have some Talia representation on <laughs> the podcast, which has been a area in which I have lacked severely in my guest diversity. No one has been named after a character or at least a major character at this point. I guess we count Michael Yu. We've got every single episode covered. Uh, but well, I will say it's Talia without an H. I was going to say you you don't have the spelling question mark issue, which makes the pronunciation very easy. I didn't have to ask, which I do ask for most guests. But with your name, I was like, I think I got this one. Well, I <laughs> but, mean, actually, it's Talia or Talia. Oh, okay. So not Ia, you more ya, the ending? Yeah. So it's okay. funny. I Most people call me Talia, but my family calls me Talia. And okay. I'm fine with either. <laughs> Though my mom, I think, has a little bit of resentment over the fact that everyone calls me Talia and not Talia. And I'm just like, it's fine, mom. <laughs> I'm good with either. Well, I stand corrected. <laughs> I will side on the side of your mother just because <laughs> I feel like that's usually the good default to go to. So I will be calling you Talia forever. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. And especially, I feel like the stars align when I pick guests because very rarely do I have the sort of thing where I intentionally have, oh, this guest for this chapter, unless it's someone like specifically saying like, oh, chapter 12 is my favorite. I'd love to be on in this chapter. Spoiler alert. We have the return of Talia. So it's so <laughs> perfect. It's yeah. so perfect. <laughs> I was so happy when she showed up and it was like the cavalry arrived with all the hunters because <laughs> she is my favorite character obviously i wasn't really into percy jackson as a kid but i remember when i first started reading it because my brother we're really close uh, we were basically best friends growing up and so i call him my brother but um he he showed up to my house one day and he had all five books and he just shoved them in my face and he's like 
read these. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really? And then he's like, well, there's a character named Talia. And I was like, oh, there's, and then I read it and I was like, Michael, there's an H in there. <laughs> nah, she's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, yeah, but her name is Talia. And I was like, okay, well, this is a really cool character, I guess. So <laughs> I'll, Fine, allow grumble, grumble. <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, I was going to ask you what your history with the Percy Jackson series is, but it feels like that has been answered already, unless there was anything else about that that you wanted to explain. It actually is kind of funny because the thing is, I didn't like, he shoved them in my face and insisted I read them. And I was kind of ambivalent about them. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't actually like them very much. I read them all and I was just like, eh, this is fine. And then I proceeded to forget every single thing that happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I was just like, nope, I don't remember anything that happens at all and so then a few years later and by a few years i mean like probably a good almost a decade later i was like you know what as an adult i'm gonna reread the percy jackson series and I actually started a whole thing on my blog called percy jackson project mm -hmm. where i was like i'm just gonna reread all of uncle rick's series like every single book i'm gonna see because I was like, especially because this was like around 2020 when like J.K. Rowling was like really showing how terrible she was. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was in the trenches. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, OK, I need I need something new. And so I was like, oh, well, I could always reread Percy Jackson. The thing was, I'd forgotten so much that it was like a clean slate. I didn't remember anything. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh. I have an astounding ability to forget everything that happens. Okay, well, <laughs> let's get into chapter 10, which is called I Buy Some New Friends, which I love the title. And I always try to guess what happens in these chapters based off of it. And my guess, which wasn't hard to do based on the <laughs> title, is my guess was Percy was finally going to spend the sand dollar given to him by Poseidon to get some sort of reinforcements. And that is exactly what happened. Look at me go. Teed it up, knocked it out of the park, but it was really easy. It was a meatball of a pitch in the middle of the strike zone. Now, where we last left our heroes, they were in Manhattan and they realized, oh, Morpheus has put the entire island to sleep. Uh-oh, this is bad. Mm -hmm. Now, narrator Percy kicks off this chapter by letting us know that Mrs. O'Leary loves this new version of Manhattan. She is going to town on an abandoned hot dog stand. Argus, <laughs> though he does not say anything, he looks like he is very worried. Which, yeah, if you're going to give an eye-based facial expression to look <laughs> concerned, if your body is entirely comprised of eyes, I could understand how that look of concern and worry would show quite clearly across your entire body. He literally is wearing his emotions on his sleeve. <laughs> Percy relays what happened up at Olympus and how the gods are not going to help, causing Argus to do a full body eye roll, which Percy <laughs> describes as being quite trippy to see. And I have already said in our last episode that I'm very intrigued to see how the TV show will make Argus and make him not terrifying and nightmare fuel for children. If they do the full body eye roll, it's going to be interesting. I'm just imagining like biblically accurate angel vibes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm recording this on YouTube. We recently had someone join the Patreon team and they made their name angels look like what in all caps with two exclamation points. <laughs> and I don't know if that is a reference of something later in this series or whatever. But yeah, I do know the biblically accurate angels are nightmare fuel. I was at a drag show um, last Halloween and the person who won the costume contest was a biblically accurate angel and they were That's terrifying. Good. <laughs> That's good. Did they have any sort of pun based name to go along with it or was it just 
biblically accurate angel. I think they angel. were just biblically accurate angel. You know, um, that's fine. The costume speaks for itself. You don't really need to have a cute name on top of it. The costume was brilliant. <laughs> so good. So good. Percy instructs Argus to return to Camp Half-Blood and guard it to the best of his abilities. He points at Percy and then raises an eyebrow, to which Percy answers that he's staying. He then looks at Annabeth and draws a circle in the air with his finger, and Annabeth agrees that it is time. And there's a lot of it is time happening (laughs) in this book in particular, but I do love Argus getting more play. Even though I did have frustrations with him in the past, he ruined that sentimental moment between Percy and Annabeth at the end of book four, but... I like him getting more in the mix, but also, what does this mean? What is this hand signal? What is it time for? What's going on? Argus goes to the van and retrieves a bronze shield, which he hands to Annabeth. And it looks pretty run-of-the-mill, but when Annabeth puts it on the ground, the reflection shows the Statue of Liberty, which Percy explains, for any non-New Yorker reading, that that is nowhere near where they are. I'm glad he did (laughs) clarify this, because certain souvenir things, if you go through an airport and they have the New York skyline, sometimes the Empire State Building will be right next to the Statue of Liberty, and that's not true, because the Statue of Liberty is technically in New Jersey, though legally it's part of New York. Geographically, it's actually in New Jersey waters, so it is not (laughs) close. I always love Skyline merch from various cities that kind of just put all the big buildings together. I lived in Seattle for two years, and they put the Space Needle right in the middle. The Space Needle is quite far from downtown. (laughs) It is not in the middle of the skyline. I have to admit, and I wasn't sure how you were going to feel about this, so I did not make this explicit to you before I joined the podcast. What are you, from Boston? I'm from Boston. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in this episode of The Olivian. We'll be back next week with someone else. <laughs> yeah, no, I was born in Boston. Wow. And you made it out. Yeah, though. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I live in Cambridge, just okay, right near okay. Harvard Square. <laughs> okay, look, that is okay. We won't talk about the result of last night's Yankees-Red Sox game. We will just move forward, and I will just brag about how the Yankees are doing better overall than the Red Sox this year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to see how much Red Sox merch I have in my closet, do you? <laughs> oh, well, I, I would say I have potentially more Yankee stuff, so let's not become enemies. Let's continue on yeah. and <laughs> discuss Percy Jackson. <laughs> so Percy is floored by the technology of a video shield, which Annabeth says is one of Daedalus's ideas. Beckendorf apparently made it, which uh, RIP forever Beckendorf, but shout out to him for making this. It bends sunlight or moonlight from anywhere in the world to create a reflection so you can see any target on Earth as long as natural light is touching it, which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Annabeth proves this by changing the image to Central Park and then East 60th Street and then Bloomingdale's and finally Third Avenue. Shout out to Bloomingdale's getting in the mix. Very old guy Rick Riordan to say, <laughs> ah, what shop is it going to be? Bloomingdale's, which like I don't feel like anyone ever goes there anymore. I don't even know if Bloomingdale's exists anymore. As someone who has only been to New York very, I did do like a summer program at Columbia. So I spent about seven weeks in New York, but I was on campus basically the whole time since so mm-hmm. I was only in like a very specific section of Manhattan. Right. I went to Brooklyn like twice. That's Hey, that's <laughs> twice that was, too many. You're good. <laughs> and that was like my entire New York experience. <laughs> and I did go to New York once for my 16th birthday. I went to Times Square. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and I did like some other touristy things. I went to the M&M store. Oh, I think, oh. And I went to the Hard Rock Cafe. <laughs> 
Oh my, oh, you've run the gambit of all the terrible things. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I know that New York is probably better than this. Oh, and I did see Mamma Mia on Broadway. Okay, saved, absolutely and saved. <laughs> I just had like another like lightning bolt memory of we went to Hoboken and we got pastries. Okay. And then we went to New York and we saw Spider-Man on Broadway. <laughs> Whoa, that is a rare feat. Because that play was not on stage for very long. Yeah, I'm a really big Spider-Man <laughs> Okay, so. good. We can share that bond and, and not have to worry about our city rivalries and your decision to go to Times Square. <laughs> it was not my decision. It was a surprise birthday present. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. Someone else made a poor choice. Yeah, no, I turned 16 and my mom took me to New York for my birthday. Okay. That's great and adorable. And if there was ever a time to go to Times Square, it's when you're a teenager and you don't realize how terrible it is. But it's okay. <laughs> I forgive you. If you come through to New York, I'll, I'll show you the the good stuff. And for anyone listening, you can always go to my website, schub.es slash NYCFAQ, all lowercase. And it's my guide to New York, where I tell you all the cool things to do, like not Times Square. Anyway, Connor Stoll <laughs> comes through and he points to something on the shield and asks Annabeth to zoom in on it. She asks if it's a monster. He says that it's Dylan's candy bar, which which is now unguarded by clerks, so he suggests to Travis that they steal the candy. Thankfully, Katie Gardner scolds him in a manner that reminds Percy of her mother, Demeter. Connor gives a half-hearted apology. And I love this from the Stoles, always staying on brand and true to form. I don't think that Dylan's candy bar is a real thing, but I will Google it to make sure. <laughs> Dylan's candy bar. It is a thing. There are apparently two locations. And one of them is in the Hudson Yards area. Okay, I've never heard of Dylan's Candy Bar, but it appears to be a big old candy shop. I need to stop doubting that things exist because every time <laughs> Uncle Rick does one of these things where he says something exists, I'm like, that's not real. There was the burger place that they mentioned at the end of the Demigod Files. And I was like, I don't think this is real. And Stephen Parra, my guess, was like, I don't think it's real either. And then some people are like, it is real. But then other people told me like, oh, it closed down in the 2000s. And I was like, oh, I don't know if it's real. So I'm just going to believe at this point he's usually picking real places, though there were fake places. I guess the fake places are only when it's thematically fake, like Monster Donut or Auntie M's. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's ever been a place reference that just doesn't exist. So I guess Dylan's Candy Bar does exist. I've not heard of it, though. Uh, you know, I guess these were written in the era before Sugarfina, which I think is like the only candy place <laughs> that I can think of name brand wise. Yeah. Like I said, the only place I've been is the M&M store. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess he could have made that mention as well. Dylan's Candy Bar is definitely a step above the M&M store because, my goodness, my goodness. Annabeth thanks Argus and says that she hopes to see him back at camp one day. He and then the Harpy drivers zoom off. Percy whistles for Mrs. O'Leary and asks her if she remembers Grover from the park. She woofs, which Percy hopes means yes and not, do you have more hot dogs? He instructs her to find Grover and bring him to them. She gives him a good lick and then scurries off. I'm excited at this prospect because I want Grover to be back in the mix. So mm -hmm. Percy sending Mrs. O'Leary to retrieve him makes me a very happy reader. Pollux crouches near a sleeping policeman, which does sound like an improvement, and wonders why the demigods didn't fall asleep as well. Selina explains that such a huge spell means a thinner layer of magic, meaning that it would only affect the mortals and not the demigods, because if you were going to affect the demigods as well, it would have to be more intense and it would be a whole bunch of effort. Percy then asks her when she learns so much about magic, and she blushes and says that she doesn't spend all her time on her wardrobe. I love it. We love <laughs> a multifaceted queen in Selena. Sequina. 
Annabeth calls Percy over to look at something in the shield. There are a bunch of demigods on speedboats, and the boat in front has a purple banner with a black scythe on it. It is cheesy as all hell, and it is the battle flag of Kronos. I guess you're not going for sneaky, but it does feel like you don't necessarily need to have a giant flag when you're trying to enact a secret plan to invade Manhattan. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe just don't do it. Well, so... (laughs) So one of the things you just made me think of is with Selena is making me think of how Aphrodite, she's seen as like kind of like a superficial goddess, but mm-hmm. she's much more than that. Agreed. It always really, really upset me that the children of Aphrodite were not taken seriously by the other campers because like they fought and trained and learned just as much as everyone else. And just because they care about looks and their appearance doesn't mean that they shouldn't be considered strong and powerful and everything Mm -hmm. because wearing makeup doesn't make you weak. Yeah, no. As someone who very much cares about his appearance, even though his full-time job is voice and no pictures slash videos (laughs) slash in-person thing, I still care about what I wear, how Mm -hmm. I dress, all that kind of stuff like that. And I don't drink coffee, and that's how I justify buying fun pants and stuff every now and then. It's like, well, I'm saving $3 a day every day of my life, so yeah, I'm going to buy this pair of purple pants. And now I own purple pants forever instead of, you know, 20 cups of coffee or whatever that go away. (laughs) Amazing. I do drink coffee, but I make it at home, so. There you go. Hey, you too can justify buying purple corduroy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I occasionally treat myself to a latte, but like. It's very rare. It's usually when I'm in an airport and it's like very early. (laughs) Look, completely, completely justified. But yeah, I agree with the sentiment. I thought as the series went on that the poke fun at the Aphrodite cabin and make them the butt of the joke was getting a bit tired. And I feel like starting, especially with the Demigod Files, when we get to learn a little bit more about Selena, they are becoming more and more of legitimate forces. And Mm -hmm. I think this book is starting to prove that as well, Mm -hmm. which I think is nice. You know, we saw their prowess in the Demigod Files. We're seeing some of their prowess here. I'm glad that there is growth that, yeah, early on they're going to be comedic relief, but now they're really solid members of the team. And Mm -hmm. sometimes the best ability is availability. Where's the Ares cabin? You know, they're Mm -hmm. supposed to be the big fighters. They're not here. So who cares? Aphrodite camp showed up. You got to love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's like the important thing is showing up. Yeah. Having a presence is more important. One person is better than no person. Hell yeah. It's why they can't fire people who are quiet quitting because (laughs) otherwise they would have no employees. (laughs) power to the people percy calls for annabeth to scan the perimeter of the island they see a staten island ferry near ellis island with dracani and hellhounds of course because they're on a staten island ferry aboard and they see telekine swimming in front cut to new jersey and there's a bunch of monsters parading through the lincoln tunnel which makes me very upset as a new jersey born boy (laughs) and percy asks what's up with the mortals outside of manhattan asking if everyone in the entire state of new york is asleep Annabeth thinks not, but it appears to her that there is about a 50-mile radius around the island of Manhattan where time is moving incredibly slowly. She shows, and this is how narrative Percy describes it, quote, a New Jersey highway (laughs) where the cars are moving at one mile per hour. And Uncle Rick, I got to know, is it the Jersey Turnpike? Is it the Garden State Parkway? Like, which (laughs) highway is it? Come on. You can't just say a New Jersey highway because each has their own character traits. And I want to know... (laughs) 
<laughs> now, obviously, this is Kronos slowing down time. Percy picks up on this. Katie Gardner adds that Hecate may also be helping because all the cars are avoiding the exits that are going into Manhattan as if they are getting a subconscious message to turn away. And at first I was like, well, that sounds like a good thing. But Annabeth's concern makes this being the act of an evil person make sense. She's worried because it seems like the bad guys have surrounded Manhattan in so many layers of magic that the outside world might not know that anything is going on. And she ends this thought with, quote, any mortals coming toward Manhattan will slow down so much they won't know what's happening. And then Jake Mason adds, like flies in amber, because <laughs> apparently he is the most dramatic demigod in the bunch. <laughs> Annabeth says that they shouldn't anticipate any assistance coming their way. Percy turns to the team, who is looking incredibly spooked, and for good reason, because it's basically about 300 versus the 40 of them. He says that they will hold Manhattan. Selena reminds Percy that Manhattan is quite large, but he doubles down, saying that they will do it and they have to do it. Percy really showing some leadership qualities, and you love to see it. Yeah, I I feel like I know that you've talked about this on the podcast before, but like, Harry Potter could never. Mm -mm. <laughs> he did do a solid job of teaching the kids in Dumbledore's army. But as far as like leading a battalion, he didn't necessarily give directions and orders and stuff in the Battle of Hogwarts. So yeah. I think he does have the teaching skills. I'm not exactly sure about the leadership skills in the way that Percy does. I really am enjoying seeing Percy thrive in this role. Yeah, no, And he definitely doesn't have the fighting skills. Like, oh, my goodness. No. Like, Every time I read these books, I'm like, wow, Harry Potter could never. And yeah. I was a really big Harry Potter fan <laughs> for a really long time before J.K. Rowling and everything. It's tough. Even before she like truly started showing her face, I was already published several articles about how problematic the content of the books was itself, like critical fandom articles. Look, there's some bad stuff in there. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like, oh, maybe the content of the books is problematic because the author is problematic. Yeah, it was certainly one of those things where once she started coming to light, it was like, oh, a lot of these things make sense now. Yeah, yeah. but then every time I read Percy Jackson, I'm like, this is so good. It's nice. And you know what? There are some things that I have brushed up on and there haven't been many, but I have been rest assured that Uncle Rick has apologized for any sort of shortcoming. And I don't oh, know if yeah. they're to come in the sequel series or whatever, but I know that at least he apologizes. Like, what else can we ask of authors or anyone that they just apologize for their mistakes and then try to learn from them? It seems like Uncle Rick has done that because, as I said, we're recording this June 12th. There was a recent article written about the TV show and his answers about how and why he defended Leah being cast as a black girl playing Annabeth and how he thought that the response was awful and how society is racist and all this stuff. His answers were so good, so mm -hmm. refreshing to see an author of a children's book series really go hard and defend people who are being attacked for no good reason. Yeah, it's really nice. He's a good dude. The books are good. And I'm glad that he has his head on correctly yeah i definitely was like hesitant about some things in the books but i was also assured by friends that like the sequel series got much better and also since this is an audio format people might not realize but i am black <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you for saying it because yeah it's it's one of the like what am i what am i supposed to be like hello and welcome our black guest you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's like so <laughs> i will say that like as a black person, I was so, so excited to see Leah cast because I was like, 
if the Percy Jackson television series had come out, like when I was a kid and like I saw that I would have been so, so excited to see Annabeth like being cast as a black character. And especially because like I have a lot of younger cousins and family members who like I'm really excited to have them watch the series and get them into Percy Jackson and like have Annabeth as a character. I'm really excited about the television series in general too, just because I've been so hyped. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's going to be good. I think that's great. I like that there's more representation in stuff. And I like that uncle Rick took the approach of just, we're just going to cast the people who fit the role the best. And the personality is what's most important. It's not the appearance. And yes, I wrote Annabeth as a blonde white girl in the books, but who cares? That is not what's important. And I think that that mm-hmm. is really nice for exactly what you're saying. You get to see little kids, see someone on the screen that looks like them and they can see themselves in it. And when you're younger, it's easier to see someone that looks like you in a piece of media and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see myself as opposed to reading and being like this person's personality. Yeah. Like, right. The, the approach of it is just like when you're young, you don't necessarily have the ability to be like, ah, yes, you know, I feel seen by X character, even though they're probably white because they are similar to me personality trait wise, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the thing is, it's also very possible to empathize with people who are not <laughs> in the same like I empathized with plenty of characters who are not black, who are not socialized as women. And like, I empathize with plenty of characters who were little white boys. Like (laughs) there's plenty of characters that was their main character. And I still empathize with them. Like one of my favorite series was Harry Potter. And like, I did empathize with that main character. What I've noticed is that it's not just like little black girls who love Ariel in the little mermaid. They're not the only ones who love, like princess tiana like so many kids they don't care yeah they love these characters because they love these characters so i did cosplay and i was cosplaying at anime boston a few months ago as princess tiana and like the second i walked out of the elevator from the parking lot this little kid like ran over to me and like hugged my skirt and like asked to take a picture with me and like throughout the day there were like a bunch of little kids who like were asking to take pictures with me. They were like from all different like skin tones, backgrounds, genders. They just liked to take a picture with the princess. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Kids just want to see characters. And like you said, it's because it's the best person for the role. And like when people say that like, oh, this person might not have been the best person for the role, they should have hired like a white actor or something. I remember I saw a post about like The Little Mermaid where someone commented like, well, you know, she actually is the best person for the role. Do you really think that they should have given it to a white actress just because she's white? Yeah, and I like- mean, that's, that's what people, when people say stuff like that, it is with the super racist assumption that, oh, well, certainly there was a white person more qualified yeah. for this role. But, yeah. you know, it's like as if, you know, Hallie Bailey didn't just win the role outright. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. You ever listen to a Chloe and Hallie <laughs> yeah, song? No. Uh, uh, there's good reason why she got cast. She's incredibly talented. What are yeah. you talking about? So, yeah, that when people say that stuff, it's a it's a huge red flag because they're like, well, clearly a white person should have gotten this role. Like, oh, it's so gross. It's yeah. So gross. Yeah. 
I have a lot of capital O opinions about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I think it's important. I think it's something that's going to come up, especially as the TV series goes around. But I think you're exactly right. Kids are the most adorable in their truly innocent approaches. There was some viral video that I saw going around where I think the concept was they had two kids that were from very different backgrounds or just like didn't look the same. I think they were like best friends or school friends or whatever. And they would ask the kids like, what makes you similar and different from your friend? And these kids who look completely different, the things they talk about are things like, well, Rebecca plays the clarinet and I play the piano <laughs> or it'll be like, oh, well, you know, I'm taller than so-and-so or like, oh, uh, you know, we both like soccer. Like they didn't talk anything at all about their appearances. Mm -hmm. Even I think some of the kids might have either, you know, been wheelchair users or something like that. Like none of that stuff ever got discussed. And it was just like things about like their personalities and their interests. And gosh, it's just it's just so nice to see how wonderfully pure children can be. It's yeah. really, really refreshing. Anyway, Percy Jackson. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got a little bit off topic. It's the same thing on my podcast. We have so many tangents. We actually had a tangent one time where we spent 20 minutes talking about mythology on a Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> hey, look, if it's relevant, it's relevant. I'm sure it works. We had a 20 minute tangent one time about laundry on this podcast. And you know what? If you don't like the tangents, you can just listen to this thing called the audio books. Like, you don't <laughs> have to listen to the podcast. But no, I think this was all very relevant. I don't think anyone's going to be upset at that. And if they do, uh-oh, I'll refund you your zero dollars you spent on this episode. <laughs> anyway, Percy Jackson. Now, Annabeth says in response to Selena saying that Manhattan is quite large and Percy saying that they're going to defend it, she says that they have to cut off the entrances to the island on the ground since the wind gods should be holding down the sky. And I wrote in my notes, uh, it's going to be tough since it's an island and they are coming via boat. Thankfully, Michael Yu brings up that exact point saying they have boats. And then we have a light bulb moment for Percy Jackson. He realizes that this is what Athena meant by remember the rivers, which makes sense. But also, why couldn't Athena just be direct? I know that the gods like to plant seeds and stuff. But when, oh, I don't know, maybe Olympus is going to be taken over, why not just say, oh, hey, Percy, use your cool water powers to destroy the boats in the rivers? Why not just be direct? <laughs> because that wouldn't be interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mentioned before, got to do things for the sake of the plot to make the book interesting. It's a book. The answer is it's a book. But at the same time, come on, Athena. The other thing I take issue with is that she says, remember the rivers, uh, the East River is not like other rivers. It's an estuary. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Percy says, quote, I'll take care of the boats, which is just incredible action movie stuff from Percy Jackson. And then Michael Yu asks, how? <laughs> I'm sorry, Michael Yu. Percy Jackson is the son of the water god. What do you mean, <laughs> how? <laughs> He's really doing a disservice to Michaels everywhere. And uh, there's a lot of us. So he is doing a disservice to many, 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 many people. Percy, to this bizarre question response, just leave it to me, which is another great action movie line. And then he tells the team that they must guard the bridges and the tunnels. He postulates that a midtown or downtown assault is most likely for the first wave. So he instructs Michael Yu to take the Apollo campers to the Williamsburg Bridge, Katie Gardner to lead the Demeter cabin to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, Connor Stoll to take half the Hermes campers and protect the Manhattan Bridge, and Travis Stoll to take the other half to guard the Brooklyn Bridge. I love that for the twins because people get those bridges confused all the time. So I think that that is such a funny note that was probably intentional by Uncle Rick. They are also close together, so it would make sense. 
and Percy reminds the Hermes campers to not loot or pillage along the way, and they all go, aww, which is <laughs> just another great example of Uncle Rick making sure that we don't go too long without something funny happening, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. Percy tells Selena to take the Aphrodite contingent to the Queen's Midtown Tunnel, and one kid goes, Fifth Avenue is so on our way. We could accessorize, and monsters, like, totally hate the smell of Givenchy. <laughs> <laughs> Or sorry, I think it's Givenchy or whatever <laughs> how you actually pronounce it. But the French brand that looks like it's spelled Givenchy. I and don't speak French. I don't either. The closest I got was learning English with a French accent. <laughs> but uh, because I worked at the international headquarters in Paris for a little bit in my engineering job. But it was the international headquarters and no one spoke French. So I didn't learn any French. Yeah, no. My mom speaks French oh, and plays French wow. music in the car. Ooh. And explains to me what the words mean. And then it leaves my head immediately. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I do want to know if Uncle Rick had to consult someone about a fancy brand, because I don't know a lot about Rick Riordan, the person, but based on his clothing choices, he doesn't feel like someone ready to drop brand names like this at the drop of a hat. I want to know, and I'll have to ask him if he ever comes on the pod, if he knew this off the jump, if he had to ask <laughs> someone, hey, what's a good fancy brand that the Aphrodite cabin would like? I mean, Givenchy is a perfect, perfect selection. <laughs> I would love to know if he came up with it on his own or if someone recommended it to him. It's just a perfect call. I love this poll. I got to admit, I don't really know very much about brands. Look, you're probably doing it right. It's one of those things where, at least in this current day and age, now it's one of those things where it's like, ah, it's a white T-shirt, but it says Gucci on it. So now it costs $500, which is like, why am I paying more for me being a human billboard for them? Shouldn't Gucci be paying me for the free advertising? Like, I, I will never understand the trend of wear a thing just because it has a logo on it. Like, a lot of the clothes that I wear have cool patterns and designs and stuff, but very few of them are just like, here's the brand that it's from. Yeah, I have a few, like, designer purses and stuff, but they were all, like, stuff I got in thrift shops. Yeah, okay, the right way to do it. Like, I have a Dunian Burke purse which i think is like a fancy it's a solid brand yeah, yeah yeah. like i looked up what the purse would be if i bought it and it's like like a 300 dollars purse and like i got it for like 30 bucks i mean that's huge <laughs> that's fantastic quick math that's about 10 percent of the price but <laughs> i think for certain items it makes sense because i know that high quality luggage or purses made by those brands like louis vuitton blah 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 that stuff lasts a really long time and I remember learning this from my mom, Barb Schubert, because I remember I was in like high school or middle school and she bought Louis Vuitton purse and I found out that it cost like 500 or so dollars. And I was like, mom, that's ridiculous. It's just a purse. She was like, Michael, I'll have this purse for the rest of my life and it will be totally fine. And I still was not on board with it. This was, I think, like potentially, how old am I? Oh my God, Duh, this might be 20 years ago. She still has the purse. And there was one time where years after having it, we were in the mall, she walked into a Louis Vuitton store and had the purse and, you know, just from like general wear and tear, the leather on the handles had gotten discolored a little bit. She walked in and just said, ah, the leather's getting a bit discolored. They went, no problem. No questions asked, took it and handed her a new purse. And she walked out with a brand new purse. And I was like, oh, you've bought literally a lifetime of purses. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing with like the Dunian brick is like similar. So I have the purse that I got in the thrift shop. And I also have like a purse that like a, an aunt gave me that like broke and I was able to replace it in a similar way. I just had to like mail it in and they mail yeah. it one back. Yeah. I'm it's not amazing. sure if I can do it. The thrift shop purse has like some 
wear and tear. I'm like, considering Steve, if I could go to a Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> you just go and just like talk about it and see if they say, like, see if they offer, yeah. you know, just walk in with it and act like you're shopping and then be like, oh, yeah, I picked this one up. <laughs> it's getting kind of old and see if they, yeah. you know, I might, well, uh, I'm, I'm play not the offer. sure. But when you mentioned Louis Vuitton was reminding me, of, I watched like one of those like puppy videos with Tom Holland. Okay. And um, he let the puppies chew up the $1,800 shoes and he was like mm. encouraging them. Look, he and probably then, got like, them for free, to be honest. <laughs> when he said, these aren't my shoes. And then he was like, how much are these shoes anyway? And then he like asked someone off camera. And then he was like, oh, $1,800? Go get them. <laughs> and he was like actively encouraging them puppies to eat the shoes that's great i'm all in favor of spending money whether it's brand stuff on like things that need to hold up like nice shoes a nice jacket nice purse stuff like that like i totally get it or if you just want it like i'm not going to tell you to live your life specifically all i'm talking about is like when you just have like a plain white t-shirt that isn't anything nicer than a unbranded one and it just costs a million more dollars because it has the brand on it that is something i will never get but again Teach their own. I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. If you want to wear a Gucci shirt, have fun. It's just not my style. Not for me. I actually use Gucci as a synonym for I'm good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, yep. <laughs> so it's good. But that's why Gucci is one of the only brands I know. <laughs> so it's like, I was like, oh, everything's Gucci. Like, I'm Gucci, but I don't actually pay attention to brands at all. <laughs> that's like one of the only brands I know. Uh, hey, look, it's, shout out to them for becoming synonymous with good. That's a pretty big upgrade for them. And then also <laughs> shout out to the brand that did a thing where I don't know. I don't know what the actual letters they were, but they started selling T-shirts where it looked like Gucci with a spray paint over it covering the letters. But they legally made their brand something like instead of Gucci, they made it like, you know, gully or something where like the paint covered it to where legally they could say like, oh, no, 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 those aren't C's covered by the paint. They're L's or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they won the case. So shout out to them finding ways to get around it. Anyway, <laughs> Percy Jackson, Percy Jackson, Percy Jackson, Percy Jackson. <laughs> I'm so Percy sorry. tells the no, it's hey, it's wonderful. I love it. We haven't had a big tangent episode in a while and I am thriving for it. Percy tells them, the Aphrodite kids, no delays, unless they think this perfume strategy will really work. That causes six Aphrodite girls to kiss Percy on the cheek. I'm wondering, is Annabeth jealous at this? I don't know, I don't know. Percy yells for them to stop, tells Jake Mason to take the Hephaestus cabin to set traps and such in the Holland Tunnel. Percy then, in a very sad moment, begins to give Clarice orders to guard the 59th Street Bridge, but oofa doofa, she is not there. Now, that of course is a concern, but here's the bigger concern. Why does Percy Jackson hate Edcock and Queensboro? And then I looked it up. The 59th Street Bridge was called either that or the Queensboro Bridge until March 2011 when it was renamed the Ed Koch or Edcock. I still don't know exactly how to pronounce it. I think it's Ed Koch, K O C H. They renamed it in March 2011. So I guess they renamed it like right after Uncle Rick wrote this book because I'm pretty sure it came out in 2011. So just a funny like time capsule moment because me being a New Yorker who moved here after 2011, I have never referred to it as anything else except for the Ed Koch Queensboro Bridge. So when he said 59th Street, I was like, Percy, what are you talking about? Why are you calling it <laughs> this weird name? <laughs> Annabeth steps up, though, saying that the Athena cabin will guard this bridge. She tells Malcolm to lead them that way and enact Plan 23 while they are moving. She says that she's going to stick with Percy and they will join them or wherever they are most needed after they figure out some stuff. And someone in the back goes, 
no detours, you two. <laughs> and some folks <laughs> giggle. Percy lets it pass. But that's great. I love that everybody knows that they're a thing and they tease <laughs> them for it. Just really solid chiding from the uh, Camp Half-Blood campers. <laughs> Percy tells them to keep in touch via cell phone. Selena says they don't have phones. Then Percy picks up the Blackberry of a sleeping woman. Oh, what a... Another time capsule moment here, a BlackBerry phone. I had a BlackBerry in 2011. Oh, wow. So you were fancy. Yeah, I wrote a lot of fan fiction on it. Look, that made sense. It had the big, full, clicky-clacky keyboard. Yeah, I wrote so much fan fiction on that BlackBerry. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, well, of course. Of course it was. I think it was actually white with a purple case. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, I didn't get a smartphone until... Like my halfway through my junior year of college. So I missed the BlackBerry phase that had come and gone by the time I was getting something more than just a flip phone. When I upgraded from my BlackBerry, I got one of those like, it was an Android. Mm -hmm. I dropped it and it smashed because I hadn't gotten a case for it yet. It was literally like two days old. The case was coming in the mail, but I dropped it. I did not have phone insurance. (sighs) And this was my junior year of high school. And as punishment, my mom got me a flip phone oh so i was one of the only kids in my entire class without a smartphone and i did not get a smartphone until my mom got me a smartphone when i started college and that was as a high school graduation present i got a blackberry for my and i had it for my first years of high school i was living that blackberry life mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. then my last two years of high school i had a flip phone Oof. i didn't move back to smartphone life until college. Yeah, see, the key for me is I never really had a cool phone until I got the smartphone, so I never had to have the, like, oh, no, I'm backtracking. I just always had very, very simple phones with no data or anything like that. It was so sad. So sad. (laughs) It's tough. Look, it's really tough, but, you know, we all have our struggles that we fight through, and we make our way out the other end of them. (laughs) I mean, it was fine. I was good. My grandmother actually gave me, like, a Samsung tablet. I think I was (laughs) <laughs> for the fact that my mom didn't give me, like, she was upgrading her tablet, so she ah, gave me her old tablet. Mm-hmm. The consolation prize, yeah, yeah, yeah. Consolation prize for not having a smartphone <laughs> anymore. Oh, amazing. So, picks up this Blackberry from the sleeping woman, and he instructs everyone to call Annabeth. He checks to make sure that they all know her number. Apparently, everyone knows Annabeth's phone number. I guess she's, like, the only kid in camp with a phone. Says to get a hold of them by calling Annabeth if they ever need to get in touch with them. Percy says to only use each phone once and to just keep cycling through random people's phones to throw off the monsters. Travis still asks, what if they find a really nice phone? Percy says that they can't keep it. Travis is sad. Jake Mason alerts Percy that no one is guarding the Lincoln Tunnel, which is a huge oversight of Percy since when they were looking at the different things, there was a giant army actively walking through that one. And (laughs) it also had a big tank going through. So how do you forget that one? Narrator Percy then says the following quote, then a girl's voice called from across the street. How about you leave that to us? And I at first was like, Clarice, finally, she's gotten over the grudge. Yay. But it's not Clarice, but it is something just as cool. It's the hunters led by Talia and she just comes in. And the fact that she does the action movie trope where the person comes in at the dramatic <laughs> line in the conversation, it's my favorite trope in action movies. And I love that Thalia did it because of all the characters to do it. Of course, it would be Thalia. Ah, oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, now my brain is broken. Do I say Talia or Thalia? I think in the book <laughs> I've been saying Thalia, but you're Talia. So I need to get that separated. <laughs> Apologies for calling Thalia Talia earlier. <laughs> no, no, they're actually different names. Uh huh. 
So they do have, like, if you go way, way, way back, they have, like, a common Aramaic origin. But my name, Talia, is a Hebrew name. It's, like, transliterated from Hebrew. Oh. The way it's typically transliterated, the way I spell it, T-A-L-I-A, or T-A-H-L-I-A, or T-A-L-Y-A. But Thalia's name is Greek and comes from either the nine muses or the three graces, or sometimes it's more than nine muses. It's complicated, but like... Yeah, it always is. But it does mean that a lot of times people misspell my name with the H, Mm. or they like assume that I'm named after the muses or whatever. And it's like, eh, like it's actually not where I got the name. My mom was um, walking down the street one day going for ice cream while she was pregnant. And she found a card on the side of the street and said, happy first day of school, Talia. And she was like, you know what? That's a nice name. I'm going to name my kid Talia. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love fun name things. That's great. What a fun <laughs> tidbit of information now since we have this fun facts of (laughs) naming and we also have the great action movie line we'll take a brief break here for the cash olympian our mid-roll break to talk about what's going on with the show live shows sponsors new merch etc and then we'll be right back to round out our discussion Hello and welcome to the Cashed Olympian Shubio edition once again. Very excited to talk to you about all things related to the show. And I'm very excited to talk to you about what's happening in less than one week this Sunday, August 27th at 4 p.m. Eastern time. We will be doing a stream, a watch along party of me and four lovely other human beings watching the bad movie. Yes, that's right. The Fox production of Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Me, Kelly, Stephen Parra, Johnny Frolicstein and Sequoia Simone will be watching the bad movie for all of your enjoyment as long as you are a patron if you are a patron over at the newsolympian.com slash patreon you can watch the stream obviously we cannot stream the film for legal reasons but you can watch us watch it and it will be very fun we'll get started around 4 p.m eastern we will chat a little bit and then get right into the movie and we'll do a classic little oh hey we're gonna click play through two one type thing we'll be streaming the version that's on disney plus i don't know if there are different versions on different sites and stuff like that but that's at least the one that we will be watching. And if you join the Patreon at any tier over at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon, you will be able to watch via a link there and there will be a chat and there will also be a replay. If that day or time doesn't work out for you, that's totally fine. You can watch the replay of it and that replay will live infinitely. So you could watch it as many times as you want. You could watch part of it live and then say, I'll deal with this later. You can do whatever you want and it'll be accessible there to you. So that's all patrons this Sunday. August 27th, 4 p.m. Eastern time to watch Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, the bad movie. It's going to be interesting. I've never seen it. Kelly's never seen it. Sequoia's never seen it. Johnny's never seen it. Steven has only seen it once when he was about 18 years old. So it's going to be just fresh anger and confusion and laughs coming from all of us. And uh, I'm really excited. So I hope you are excited as well. Now, if you're looking for an in-person event, you can come to a live show for the News Olympian. We've got some shows coming up. September 28th will be in the D.C. metropolitan area. We'll be in Vienna, Virginia. Then we will be in Philadelphia, a.k.a. Doylestown on October 21st. That's a Saturday. And then that following Sunday, the day right after, we'll be in New York City for another live show. It'll be fun. You could come to both shows. You could take the Amtrak. It could be a whole adventure, a little Northeast Corridor regional train experience. But those 
shows are coming up. And then we will have some shows in Texas in December. They are confirmed, but tickets are not live yet. Dallas, December 13th, Austin, December 15th, San Antonio, December 17th. And then I'm also trying to line up a Houston show in that mix around that same time period as well. Now, if you follow the News Olympian on social media at News Olympian on Twitter or Instagram, you saw that I had some reactions to the teaser trailer that dropped for the TV show. They said that the show is going to release the first two episodes on December 20th, 2023. And I would love to discuss the show on the podcast. It will line up perfectly with my schedule to where we will just be posting the final episodes of book five in November and then the episodes about the first movie in December. So it should line up absolutely wonderfully. But... The strike's got to go away. I'm pretty sure that I can't make episodes about it if I do want to stand in solidarity with the WGA and SAG, which I want to do because those folks deserve fair contracts and living wages. And I'm pretty sure some of these giant mega corporations can give fractions of percentages of earnings just to make people able to make a living off of their jobs of the content they're creating. So we will just have to see. But I know some other Percy Jackson podcasters are also trying to follow in solidarity. So I don't know that I will be making episodes if the strike is going on, but hopefully that strike gets resolved and fair contracts are given about. But I am excited, but I'm not going to be really talking about it on the show or doing any sort of content about it until that strike is resolved. Now, I talked about that patron stream earlier. A lot of folks have joined the Patreon in prep for this stream. Thank you to everyone who has joined at any point in time. But let's give a shout out to the folks who have joined most recently. So shout out to Renewus Ultra God tier patrons, Joshua Aid and A Cup of Solace. And also a oops, you've been an Ultra God patron, but Patreon had some weird errors going on for Ginger Spurs Boy. You're back in the mix and I'll be saying you every episode. Fear not. Shout out to Renewus Mega God tier patrons, Juliana Ramirez, Nachosmi and Hang Win. Shout out to our new Super God Tier patrons Kali, Angelica Dowell, Jackie Jimenez, Bruce Kuabara, Elza J, Ambar Flaites, and Ella Bookreader. Shout out to our newest God Tier patrons Amber Roth, Josephine Frick, Sun Ofek, Cookie Monster, Becky Grabowski, Garbanzo Bean, Seth Harding, Lucinda Nestor, Anna Whipperfirth, Chasing Jackson, Ellen Karen Frafjord, and Aiden Vasquez. And shout out to our newest Demigod Tier patrons Mercedes Blankenship, There's a Hippo in This Photo, Alexis Foster, Ranuka Shank, Sophia, Tara Landry Ballou, Miara, Carl Jones, Katrina Kaufman, Ray Sell, Ariel Chen, Look It's Liam, Rebecca Lynn, Nico is the Q. Judas, Jake Towers, Cole Darling, Kaylee Warenko, Rainey Remley, AJ Cook, Emma Nelson, Kelly Newland, Jennifer Myers, Leo Conte, and Zoe D. Thank you all so much for your support. May Janice bless you that you never get your finger caught in a door and pinch it. Janice was the god of doors, remember? Now, if you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for more content to consume, you should go to that News Olympian Patreon. It's good. Not only are you going to be able to watch that stream this Sunday, but you'll get bonus episodes posting something soon from LeakyCon that Sequoia Simone and I just did. And then there's director's commentary. There are the monthly Q&A live streams that are video live streams where you can ask me to sort of question as long as it's reasonable and I will answer it. You can get access to my notes. There's sneak previews for upcoming merchandise. There's the Discord. There are polls to help me decide things. There are even ways that you can help with the production of the show if you join at the highest tier. So much good stuff, all accessible to you at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. And you also get access to all the old Potterless stuff, too. I put up Potterless content for five years, and you get access to all of it. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Antarctica, don't be surprised if you hear an ad read by someone wearing a parka. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of the News Olympian. This episode of the News Olympian is brought to you by Tap for a Cause. Now, later in this episode, we'll discuss a scene where Percy helps out with water and benefits the world. And maybe you want to do the same sort of thing, but you don't really know how and you want to do something that doesn't take too much I can't blame you. Well, here's a way that you can do so in a very easy way. You can install Tab for a Calls on your browser and then give 
and then raise money and give money to water.org. So tab for a cause is something that you can add to your browser. To install it, just go to tabforacause.org slash TNO. That's T-A-B-F-O-R-A-C-A-U-S-E dot org slash TNO. And every time you open a new tab, you'll get a very pretty picture of a nice nature background. Let me open my tab and see what I get. I got a bunch of really pretty trees in fall. So the leaves are turning colors. It's got the time and the date. You can add other widgets and stuff like that. You might see some ads in the bottom corner, but those ads raise money for charity and you can pick what charities get supported. One of those charities is water.org. Water.org provides safe water and sanitation solutions that give communities health, hope, and a future. So what I'm going to do right now is donate the hearts that I have saved up and give them to water.org. I just did it. And they say your donation helps empower families living in poverty with lasting access to safe water and sanitation at home. With your support, we are changing lives with safe water and the hope, health, and opportunity it brings. Cool. Every time you open a tab, you get a heart and then you can decide where those hearts go. And that tells Tab for a Cause where to give the money. It's fantastic. I've been using it for years and it's a really easy way to raise money for charity. You're going to open tabs if you use the internet. And if you listen to this podcast, use the internet. So you can go to tabforacause.org slash TNO to install it. That's tabforacause.org slash TNO to install this and start raising money for charity and helping out with water stuff today. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. We are back. Dahlia is here. She is rolling 30 deep. Many of her hunters also have hunting falcons. Plus, there is a pack of white timber wolves following them. So, Nikola Pekovic, Tom Gugliotta, Ricky Rubio... It's a basketball joke that maybe 4% of the audience will get, but I was very (laughs) proud of it looking up all the white players of the Minnesota Timberwolves of years past. Dolly also, I don't know if this was ever noted before, but she has spiky black hair. I don't know if we ever knew that her hair spiked before. I think that's fantastic. If I missed it, I apologize. But she's also wearing a Death to Barbie (laughs) t-shirt. Vibes. Vibes. Yeah. Not to get us on a tangent or anything. I know we've been on already lots of tangents, but read the falconry. My mom signed us up for falconry lessons soon. So I may soon be learning how to fully embody If there is any content from it, if you have videos, pictures, whatever, please send it my way so I can post it on the Instagram because that would be delightful. Delightful. Yeah, we, we haven't like fully nailed down a date yet, but we're planning on going with my cousins soon over the summer. Okay, but let me know. Gotta, but yeah, you will, you will fully embrace your semi namesake if you do. <laughs> yeah, we just got to figure out a time. Fantastic. But we've been planning it since April. That's so good. Annabeth is hyped. 
Thalia says that they are ready for battle. Percy asks where she's been the last year. Uh, she's been with you, Percy. Did you forget that they got files again? <laughs> He's surprised that the hunters have nearly doubled in numbers. Thalia says that it's a long story, meaning that I need the spinoff book from Uncle Rick if it doesn't already exist. And she bets <laughs> that her adventures were more dangerous than Percy's. He refutes. Thalia says that Annabeth and Percy should grab cheeseburgers with her, quote, at that hotel on West 57th. And I was delighted because she's talking about burger joint or at least i thought she was and then percy goes oh yeah hotel some like fancy name like lemeridian or whatever but burger joint is this incredible burger place that is inside of a hotel i've never known what the hotel is because i only go there for burger joint because it's like a four-star hotel in new york which means it costs a jillion dollars to even i don't know like take the elevator but if you go into this place you go in the lobby you make a left and then there's just like a neon sign with just a burger and you go in and it's mm -hmm. this incredible burger place I cannot recommend Burger Joint enough. It's on my NYC FAQ thing that I referenced earlier. So the fact that Burger Joint got referenced in PJO makes me really, really excited. Burger Joint slaps. That place is good. And it's really close to Central Park. So it's like a really good day. You can like go to Burger Joint and then go to Central Park or vice versa. Oh man, Burger Joint's good. They're not paying me to say this. They're just that good. I'm a vegetarian, but... Hmm, I wonder if they do... I don't know if they do anything like portobello mushrooms or whatever. At the very least, they have fries. At I'm also allergic to potatoes. Mm, sweet potatoes too? <laughs> I can have sweet potatoes. Okay. I think they also do sweet potato fries and they're quite tasty. I do love sweet potato fries. Okay. Look, me too. I think they're better than regular fries. Same. Regular fries. They're not as good. I think sweet potatoes good. taste better and then they're also healthier for you. Like, come on. Have you ever had raw sweet potatoes? No. They're actually really good. Like, chop them up, eat them like carrots. Fantastic. Ooh. I love to try. I have cooked sweet potatoes basically almost every single morning. I make eggs and sweet potatoes that I season with tahini for Kelly and I for breakfast. And I've never had them raw, but maybe next time I'll uh, I'll take a little nibble just to see. They're not. Are, yeah. are, don't, aren't sweet potatoes like poisonous unless you cook them though? Are sweet potatoes safe? No, sweet potato. I've I've had raw sweet potatoes so okay. Often. And you are still here. <laughs> and I'm still here. But if you do want to cook them a different way, have you ever fried them? No, not in like a frying pan. Not like fried, but like sauteed kind of. Kind of, yeah. When I make them in the morning, I basically just like dice them up. I put them in the microwave for three minutes to get them soft a little bit. And then I put them in a skillet with oil and tahini and then just do it like that. And they're really good. They get a little crispy, soft on the inside. Mm. No, what I mean is like you slice them up real thin you, and like get some oil. I usually use safflower oil. You slice them up real thin. And you put them in the oil with like just a little bit of salt and pepper. Like you sure. don't even need that much seasoning. You put them in with the salt and pepper and you put them in. It's like very good. Okay. Like they get nice and crispy. Yeah. Basically making chips. I mean, look, that sounds really good. Yeah. It's like basically like making chips and they get, uh, depending on, on how you make it and how thick you make it, they either get crispy or like stay kind of soft, but they're really good. It's also a very good way to cook zucchini in a similar oh, way. Ooh, okay. It's really good if, if like some make some white rice and then with some fish, it's like mm. fantastic mm. meal. Sounds delectable. My tummy has grumbled, no joke, three <laughs> times as you've described these very tasty dishes. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're good. Hey, it's all good. I just, you know, I'm going to eat some late breakfast slash early lunch once we are done recording. <laughs> Annabeth is thankful that the bridges and tunnels are now all covered, but she states that it'll be completely pointless if the rivers aren't handled. Narrator Percy then says the following. I looked at the campers, all of them grim and determined. I tried not to feel like this was the last time I'd ever see them all together, which, ah, emotions. <laughs> 
He then gives a speech calling them the greatest heroes of this millennium, which I don't know if that's the best compliment, seeing that these books <laughs> take place in like the early 2000s. But regardless, he calls for them to fight bravely, no matter how many villains attack them. He raises Riptide and shouts for Olympus, and they shout in response. Narrator Percy explains that he and Annabeth can't take cars because of how blocked up the traffic is, noting that all of the engines for the cars are also turned off. So either people turned off their cars before going to sleep, which is possible because it seems like they also pulled over. So maybe they had the foresight to turn off their cars, which is very responsible. Or Morpheus can also put engines to sleep. Who's to say? <laughs> Percy finds a sleeping delivery guy beside a Vespa. He apologizes and then takes the Vespa. Love this. And then he's riding it with Annabeth sitting behind him with her hands around his waist. <laughs> Pretty uh, romantic, <laughs> if you ask me. And along the way, very sweetly, Annabeth and Percy move pedestrians that are directly in front of cars. They move them out of the way in case the cars spring to life suddenly. They also extinguish a pretzel cart that's on fire and they rescue a runaway baby carriage, but it turns out there's just a poodle inside, but they rescue it nonetheless. And as they pass Madison Square Park, Annabeth calls for Percy to stop as she approaches a statue of a bronze man sitting in a chair with his legs crossed atop a red pedestal. Percy asks, why should we care about, and then he squints to read the little plaque, William H. Stewart, and Annabeth corrects Seward and explains that he was a New York governor and a minor demigod, the son of Hebe. Never heard of Hebe before, so I'll have to ask what's up, unless you know what's up with Hebe. Yeah, I do know Hebe. Hebe is actually, if I recall correctly, she is the daughter of Zeus and Hera and oh. Hercules' wife. Oh, cool. I'm pretty sure that that's... That that's who she was. And she was also the goddess of youth. Okay. Fun stuff. Yeah. There's not very much known about her. She's sort of like, I can't really tell you much about her because I didn't really learn much about her. But she's all basically good. like after Hercules completed all of his trials or whatever, and he became a permanent god and he went up to Olympus, he married his sister as the gods do. Yeah, sounds all right. <laughs> yeah, it tracks. <laughs> She's also a character in the Lore Olympus comics. Oh, um, all right. I don't know if you've ever read those. I have not. I have not. It's a webcomic series. It's really good. If you want to do more mythology things outside of Percy Jackson, you should check it out. I will keep that in the back pocket. Yeah, it's about Hades and Persephone. Mm. We've, we've gone on another tangent. But yeah, <laughs> for listeners, I minored in classics. So that's why I have random all mythology right. knowledge. Well, there you go. Cool. <laughs> now I'll learn more in a mythology episode in the future, but good to have some context. Annabeth says that that is not really important because it's the statue that concerns her. Percy says, don't tell me he's an automaton. And Annabeth smirks and says that most statues in the city are. She explains that Daedalus put them around in case he needed an army. Percy asks if she means to attack or defend Olympus. And Annabeth shrugs and says it could go either way. But that is plan 23. Activate the statues until there is an army, which I think is pretty cool. A fun set of reinforcements. Very hodgepodge group joining them. I think it'll be super cool. She admits that this plan is dangerous, though, since the automatons are unpredictable, but then she touches the statue's boot to activate it. Now, the statue is a guy sitting with his legs crossed, wearing an Abe Lincoln-style suit, which checks out because I googled the statue, and for a second I thought it was Abe Lincoln. He has big Abe vibes. He's got loads of books under his chair, a quill in one hand, a sheet of parchment in the other. So while Annabeth is activating it, Percy asks, what is he going to do, take a memo? Which is great. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Annabeth shushes Percy and greets William. Percy wants to call him Bill. Annabeth tells him to shut up, which is the correct response here. Annabeth then 
greets the statue as Governor Seward and commands him to begin command sequence 23. He jumps off his plinth and cracks the sidewalk below. Annabeth says he's going to wake Confucius, which at first I thought was a wild dig a hole to China joke. But what she means is that there's a Confucius statue on Division Street, which I have never seen, but I checked and that is what she's talking about. And they talk about it in the book. Percy asks if the statues know that the demigods aren't the enemy. Annabeth says that she thinks so, which has Percy reply, that's reassuring. <laughs> he, and then he begins to think of how many statues there are in New York City, and he thinks that it could be in the thousands. I googled it, and Wikipedia told me that it's just above 300. So, just a few off there, Percy. <laughs> <laughs> then they see an explosion of Greek fire over the East River, so they know that they gotta go. They go to Battery Park, which is where the Hudson and East Rivers come together and pour into the bay, which means they're actually both estuaries. Neither of these rivers are rivers. Athena, get it together. Come on. Know your water terminology. <laughs> I guess Poseidon wasn't around to correct her. Percy tells Annabeth to wait here. She doesn't want him to go alone. Percy says, well, unless you can breathe underwater. And she replies, you are so annoying sometimes. Ugh, great. Love the banter. But also, he's right. And I thought that was a funny note for me to take because the next line Percy says is, like when I'm right, he says that he'll be fine because the curse of Achilles makes him, quote, all invincible and stuff now. Annabeth looks unsure, tells him to be careful because she doesn't want anything happening to him. And then she has to add, oh, because we need you for the battle, not emotionally. <laughs> it's certainly just the battle. He grins, I think picking up on this, and says, back in a flash, which is great. Narrator Percy then says the following, quote, just for you non-sea god types out there, don't go swimming in the New York Harbor. It may not be as filthy as it was in my mom's day, but that water will still probably make you grow a third eye or have mutant children when you grow up. And I think the rivers are better now. I feel like I saw an article recently that you actually can swim in it and it's fine, but I still wouldn't recommend it. And also it's been, you know, 10 years or so since this book came out. But yeah, I think Percy's instinct here is correct. Warning people, don't go swimming in, in the waters here. Where I went to college, I went to Brandeis and I lived in the South Quad. And in the South Quad, there's a pond in the center of the South Quad. And the pond is so interesting. <laughs> Biology students would go and take samples. Okay, yeah, that, you're, that's <laughs> not a pond for swimming. Mm, not a swimming pond. <laughs> there was one night I was coming back to the dorms late and there were a bunch of geese oh. in the pond. And I could see their glowing eyes <laughs> staring at me. I, I mean, geese are evil. They are geese up there are with evil. seagulls in the evil bird category. They were all over campus and they would leave bringing poop everywhere. Oh, the worst. I remember I was coming back from, I, there was like something I was doing late at night. I know it wasn't a party because I was not a party person. But <laughs> I was doing something late at night and I just came back and all these geese were staring at me. Their glowing eyes. And I have a picture, but I try not to show it to people because it freaks them out. <laughs> Look, send it my way and maybe we'll put it up on the Instagram with like a warning content label of potentially demonic geese in the photo. But it'd be fun to share. Percy tries to find the point where the stream of the two rivers meet and form the bay. Percy then does what he does best. He starts smack talking the Hudson River and the East River, which I did not anticipate at all. But I love it. He has some bangers. Quote, I heard you guys are so polluted you're embarrassed to show your faces. Is that true? I heard the East River is more toxic, but the Hudson smells worse. Or is it the other way around? Oh, oh. 
This is elite level smack talk from Percy. He's usually pretty <laughs> solid. Sometimes he falls short. This is top tier stuff. You are calling them cowards. You're making fun of them. You're throwing out an insult for each of them and then saying that you get the two of them confused, which is perfect to pit them against each other. Just this is really good stuff. I really, really appreciate this from someone, me, who loves to use tactical trash talk when playing pickup basketball. This is uh, really, really, really good work from Percy Jackson. He then can begin to feel a presence or perhaps two presences. And narrator Percy then says, quote, I was afraid I miscalculated with the insults. <laughs> he is afraid that they will blast him without showing themselves. But then he remembers that they're New Yorkers and they would want to get in his face first, which is correct. <laughs> two giants of silt form by him. The left one looks like a telekine with a wolfish face and a seal like body and glowing green eyes, much like the geese you were talking about. The right one is more humanoid clad in rags and seaweed with chainmail made of bottle caps and six-pack holders, which sucks just in terms of pollution, but is a good vibe for the sea spirit. Mm -hmm. This guy also has an overgrown beard, algae on his body, and deep blue eyes. The seal, which is the East River God, asks Percy if he's trying to get himself killed or if he's simply, quote, extra stupid. And then the Hudson says, quote, you're the expert on stupid East, which, uh, really good, really good New York banter going on back and forth. Mm -hmm. East tells Hudson to watch it. Hudson asks, or what? You'll throw another garbage barge at me? Which is great because garbage <laughs> barges do go through the East River quite a bit. They get ready to fight each other, but then Percy says that they have a bigger problem, and the East agrees, saying that they should kill Percy first and then fight each other. <laughs> Hudson is on board with this plan. Before Percy can protest, they attack by shooting a bunch of debris at him, but Percy uses the water around him to form a shield. These spirits are stunned and then ask if he's a son of Poseidon. He confirms. They ask if he swam in the river Styx. He confirms. And then East goes, quote, well, that's perfect. Now how do we kill him? <laughs> so good. Hudson ponders finding jumper cables to try to electrocute him, but Percy yells that Kronos and his army are set to invade Manhattan. And the spirits say that they know they can feel the boats. Percy implores them to sink the ships then. Hudson asks why they should care, and Percy says because he can pay them. And then this is the classic thing where I forget the chapter title because I'm so engrossed in the books, but write the sand dollar as I predicted. And that is exactly what Percy prepares to do. He pulls out the sand dollar and their eyes widen, meaning that this is a great call from Percy Jackson. See, the funny thing is I didn't connect that to the chapter title. Oh. And even when I saw the chapter title later, I was like, I don't understand the chapter title or how it's relevant to what happens in the chapter. <laughs> what did you think he was going to literally like buy people? <laughs> I was like, I don't understand what he does. Like what in this chapter has to do with buying friends? <laughs> Percy didn't go shopping in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. And then when you said it at the top of the episode that you had predicted it correctly, I was like, oh, that's what the chapter <laughs> title meant. Happy to be this eureka moment for you. The rivers begin to fight over who should get the sand dollar. East taking the high road, basically saying, oh, I'll be really good if you give it to me. Hudson taking the blackmail route of, oh, you better give it to me or I'll let the ships come through. I don't like Hudson in this. <laughs> I prefer East's approach. Percy breaks it in half, and then a ripple of clean water emits and dissolves nearby pollution. Percy says that they can each get half if they keep the armies at bay. And then the Hudson says, oh man, it's been so long since I was clean, so that is the power. I don't know if the sand dollar could be used for anything or if it was this specific purpose. I hope that it's something where it does a different power for each thing, because again, if all it does is clean out pollution, I feel like Poseidon should have been more clear with his instructions, mm -hmm. but... 
I would guess just from what I think narratively would make sense. It's some sort of thing where depending on what water-related spirit he talks to, the sand dollar can do what that person wants. And clearly these two very polluted estuaries want to be clean. This like gave me such a complex because then I'm like, well... Clearly, Poseidon can just like get rid of the pollution. Yes, so I wrote easily. in my notes. Why don't you do this then all I'm the time? Like, why don't you do this all the time? Yes, clearly you have the power to get rid of the pollution. And even if it doesn't completely get rid of the pollution, you can at least make it a little bit better. Yeah, you don't have to let humanity ruin the planet this much. Yes, and Agreed. like even Agreed. if like in this universe we don't have gods who have that kind of power. Why can't they do it in the Percy Jackson universe? I know, I know. I had the exact same thoughts, speaking my language. The spirits then lock eyes and say, it's a deal. Percy gives them their halves and says, um, the invaders, because they don't really spring into action. East flicks his hand and says, they just got sunk. And Hudson snaps his <laughs> fingers and says, bunch of hellhounds just took a dive. Great, great. I love how easily they dispatch the attackers. Percy thanks them, then says, stay clean and heads towards the surface. East tells him to come back with more sand dollars if he survives. Hudson laughs that heroes always think the curse of Achilles will save them and he says if only he knew i don't like this everyone who's been talking about the curse has been mad ominous about it i am not enjoying this this is too many chapters in a row where people are like oh the curse of achilles oh boy oh you're really in a pickle i'm i'm worried for my guy percy <laughs> we will have to see i'm gonna go reread the rest yep of the mm-hmm. a very common thing of tno guests is once the recording is done finishing whatever book i've had them on for if they didn't already finish the book <laughs> in prep for the episode just because they didn't need to read past it, but they wanted to. Anyway, (laughs) Percy gets to the shore. On the shore, Annabeth is on her phone. She hangs up when she sees Percy. She's clearly stressed. Percy says that the plane worked and the rivers are safe. Annabeth says that's good because there are other problems. There's another army marching over the Williamsburg Bridge, and it's led by the Minotaur, meaning that Percy versus Minotaur round two is approaching. But that is the end of chapter 10, and that is the end of this episode of The Newest Olympian. Talia, thank you so much for joining and lending expertise and taking us on fun tangents and giving us insight into the origins of your name slash kind of your name. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was so delightful. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, whether it's writing or podcasting, where can they find you? Yeah, so I do so many things, but I, as I said, I'm a co-host and executive producer of the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey podcast. Uh, which is a Doctor Who podcast. I really like Doctor Who. We are at Wibblypod. That's uh, at W-I-B-B-L-Y-P-O-D on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook. I also have my own socials. I'm Talia underscore Franks on Instagram and Twitter and Talia Franks on TikTok because I was so excited that Talia Franks wasn't taken that I forgot I wanted to make it match on my other socials and Mm. do the underscore. Hey, but when you can get it, you can get it. Anytime I can get (laughs) shoes without the 17, I am overjoyed and I snatch (laughs) it up. It's rare. And so I I said I'm writing my Chrissy Jackson project. uh, You can find that at TaliaFranks.com. And I also write other fun stuff on there. Sometimes other book reviews, sometimes about Doctor Who, sometimes about random tangents, things that I like. I once wrote a whole article about why I thought the Bastille Doom Days album was secretly about Good Omens. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so um, I just write lots of stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. So thanks for having me on. It's very happy to say exciting. 
No problem. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And this was a very fun conversation for a very fun chapter. So thank you again for joining listeners. Thank you for listening. And until we figure out what's going on with the Minotaur and his army and all the other battles that are sure to take place in Manhattan. I love that we're like halfway through the book and it feels like the end. It's going to be nice (laughs) where we just have like basically an entire half of book being what's normally the last like three chapters. I'm super stoked. But until we figure out what's going on, I'll see you later. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The New Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamadas and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to be a part of the show's community, you can find us on social media. We're at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There's also a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash The News Olympian. And then there's also the Discord that you get access to by joining any tier of the Patreon over at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. If you want to get some TNO merch, you can go to thenewsolympian.com slash merch. And if you want to support the show, and as a thank you, get access to a whole bunch of bonus content. You can do that at thenewsolympia.com slash Patreon. Speaking of that Patreon, let's give a shout out to our producer level patrons, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Boney Pony, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Josh Sayre, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Riley Kiddas, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mrs. O'Leary, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Harlan Christ, Cece Reads 23, Sandkoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drillsma, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Luna Cadoon, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, Sky Captain and the Princess, King Bastion, One Damn Distraction coming up, Ethan Robinson, Ginger Spurs Boy, Joshua Aid, and a Cup of Solace. If you want to support the show in a non-monetary way, simply talking about the show is so helpful. Word of mouth is huge. So you can tell someone that you know who loves Percy Jackson about the podcast, or you can talk to someone who's looking for an excuse to finally get into the Percy Jackson books about it, or someone who's maybe getting hyped for the TV show that's coming up and they want to understand what's going on, or you could post about the show on social media, or you could leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All these things really do help. I'm very appreciative to everyone who has already done so and to anyone who will do so in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode and I hope you tune into our next episode where we'll be discussing chapter 11 and a chunk of chapter 12 live in Cleveland with new guests to the show, but someone who I've made podcasts with for many a years. It's Eric Hamilton. Schneider. But until then, I'll pursue you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, Summer Mixo. I'm here in the Shubio and along the walls of the Shubio, I have various fan art and gifts that people have been so kind enough to send me over the years to my P.O. boxes. And some of the things that I have are some wands, used to make a Harry Potter podcast, so that makes sense. And what I'm just going to do is take two of them off of their little holders that I've made out of thumbtacks and just kind of hit them together a little bit just for some, you know, wood on wood ASMR. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.